0: Mr. Le Prince Coleman, you're going to help me understand something, man. What up, baby? Why is everyone afraid of success? That is the question of the day. Or maybe no. everyone's really nervous that they might succeed while someone else doesn't. Like, even if they haven't succeeded, they're like, instead of, hey, maybe I could succeed. They're like, well, if I did succeed... What if someone else didn't like this weird, okay, we're going to start with a tweet because you shared this with me and this will give it context and then you'll enlighten us on what's happening here. Is that cool? Uh, Yeah, but I
1: I could say something just even in response to what you said. Hit it. I don't think it's that people are afraid of being successful because success is nothing more than um, uh, as, as Nightingale said, the attainment of a worthy ideal and everybody has that. They can pretend not to have it, but everybody's got priorities and it matters to them that they're able to live a life that reflects the realization of those priorities. But what people are, are afraid of is being seen as privileged. And it's not that people are afraid of success, they're afraid that they're going to attain success or pursue success in a way that makes someone else look at them as privileged and then define them as the other, the elite, that we need to resent and people don't want to be a part of that you know it's sort of like i've seen these pictures on the internet of these like um you know uh large wealthy homes where you know rich white people live in it and then on the you know like the front lawn they have a sign that says black lives matter and and it's sort of like a signal like hey like like we're on your side don't don't rob this house don't riot over here please don't break any windows over here we're on your side you know it's sort of like a a way of saying, look, I know we're rich. We also see, um, see it in Hollywood. where like, or in politics too, we're really rich people. They go out of their way to try to make people that aren't rich feel like, Hey, you know, me, you know, us, I'm just one of the guys. I'm just one of the girls. And I think people are afraid of being seen as like the enviable object
0: because then, you know, someone's going to tear their castle down or accuse them of being privileged. Okay. There's, By the way, I thought I just had an idea of a much more efficient um, sign instead of like, you know, Black Lives Matter or whatever the current, you know, Occupy Wall Street, whatever the movement is. Just put out a sign that says, I support your cause, you know, just all of them, all the issues, all the causes, I'm behind them. Uh, I'm on your team. Um, That has explanatory power for maybe wealthy, like conspicuously wealthy people that it's obvious to see that they've sort of succeeded in a material sense why they would be kind of worried that people are going to come after them with pitchforks. But I'm, I'm actually talking about a slightly different phenomenon. I mean, it's, it's related, but I'm talking about like people that aren't successful by any major metric that are preemptively worried about doing things to achieve their own goals. If it's possible that other people aren't capable of doing those things, mm. like this preemptive guilt that like, well, yeah, if I, you know, save up all my money and then start to invest it or whatever, I could achieve wealth. But I'm worried about that advice because not everyone can. And it's like, well, you only get to live your life. Not Here, let me, let me read this tweet. Yeah. So Jason Calcanis, who's a um, very colorful uh, podcast host of This Week in Startups and a uh, angel investor and a fun account on Twitter if you're interested in um, startup world. And then Sahil, who's also a great account to follow, an entrepreneur and interesting guy on Twitter. So Calcanis tweets, if young folks risk, heck, even lost $1,000 a year for 10 years investing in stocks, startups, crypto, or at poker, that would be money well spent on an education in risk, math, gambling, business, and finance. People are really dumb about taking risk. And I love his point, right? Like, if we redefine the way we think about education, and you think about what what people spend on like classrooms and stuff, what are ways you could learn a lot more and more valuable things about the world for a lot less? People would be like, oh, kids wasting $1,000 on poker or crypto. That's a terrible, irresponsible decision. But when you like think about what they're gonna walk away from with that experience versus what they walk away from wasting $50,000 on you know sitting in classrooms or whatever. Really cool, I love it, very interesting. The response uh, by Sahil, you should give kids, you should give 10 kids a thousand dollars each and ask them to report back in a year would be cool. Now on a surface level, that's a very fun, like, Oh, that'd be neat. You should give some kids a thousand dollars each. What a cool idea. Um, tell me why that, why that got your goat or served as an example of this mental hurdle that you think is holding people back, this fear of, of privilege. The very act of giving money to the kids to take risk with is
1: precisely what deprives them of the lesson that is being advocated in the original tweet. Certainly there is good that can come from giving someone money they don't have, right? They can go take that money and they can spit it on groceries that they can't afford or something like that. No one's objecting to that at all. The point of that tweet, however, is that there are things that you learn from genuinely risking something that you had to work hard to acquire, right? Because people respond to incentives. Something that you and I have talked about many times is that if the risk involved in the learning process aren't real, then the rewards of that learning process won't be real either. There is a difference between me going to work for two weeks, making some money, and then risking that and losing it versus you saying, hey man, here's some money that you can just go do whatever you want. And I risk it and I lose it. I'm not paying for that in the same way. And both of those have their pros and cons. But what I learn about investing is entirely different when I'm putting my own capital at, capital at stake than when I'm just playing around with other people's money for fun. You know, it's sort of like the difference between, uh, you know, uh, being the rich kid who plays at being homeless, knowing that you can go back you know, the entire time and actually being homeless. I mean, you just learn two different things by those different kinds of experiences. And so I love that first tweet actually, because he took an amount of money that was much less than what most kids will actually spend in a year. Not only on education, but even on consumer goods, right? And he said, take that money, and actually spend it on, thing, on games, whether it be investment games or whatever, that give you the opportunity to make more money, but that have enough risk to where you could lose that money and consider that an education experience that's going to make you a better strategic thinker. And I, I thought that was pretty cool. And I, I think the suggestion was, was solving a different type of problem. It takes away the opportunity for people to learn.
0: Well, and this is one of those times where like, I'm a big advocate of your, um, you know, you've hammered this home for years, the principle of charitable interpretation. And so I I don't want to be uncharitable to Sahil. And I'm I'm not going to assume that this is what he means. But when I read it, I think because I'm so accustomed to seeing something like this everywhere on Twitter, I immediately kind of imagined there's there's like a hidden implication there, like a worry that. Jason's tweets will be, are problematic because not everyone has thousand dollars and he's advocating something that only that certain people won't have access to. And nobody has a specific person in mind, right? Sahil's not like, Hey, I've got this kid that I know who this would be amazing. He would love to do this. He just doesn't have a thousand dollars, right? He's just, he's imagining something good, valuable, useful in terms of advice, ideas online, He's imagining a theoretical person that can't benefit from it and therefore immediately worrying about solving a problem for a theoretical person instead of solving a problem for a real person or jumping on that advice. And I think there's something in there that's like taken over. It's like so dominant. Every time I see anybody talking about, you know, business ideas or you should approach this or with crash, you know, pitch companies do this. This is going to improve your job hunt. There's always this like pervading worry that, that certain people have or just pops up frequently. If there's more than 10 comments, one of them is going to be of this variety about people I can imagine, theoretical people who might not be able to do this thing. And like you're focusing all your time on worrying about that instead of, hey, can I do this thing? Can I be successful with that? There's like this guilt of like, well, I can't go pursue something that could make me successful unless and until I ensure that there's not a single person in the world who isn't also capable of pursuing that same thing. Otherwise I'm like kind of a bad person for taking advantage of that. You know, it's like, I don't know where that, do you know what I'm saying? Am I, am I overreacting? Or do you feel like that is like a dominant thing in the culture, this fear of, of, taking advantage of an opportunity that not everyone can take advantage of, which by the way, is the definition of every single opportunity on earth. There is no opportunity or piece of advice that every human can take advantage of. Like you're going to leave somebody out if you do something, you know, not everyone can follow in your footsteps. Yeah. You
1: know, it's interesting. So I'll use a communication analogy. I think there's a difference between being afraid that someone will misunderstand what I say and being passionate about making sure that I get my point across effectively. Those are two entirely different mindsets, right? If I speak like a person who's afraid of being misunderstood, that's, that's, that's a different sound. We all know what it's like to be in that place where you're nervous, you know, you're afraid that the person is interpreting you uncharitably, or you're afraid that that person is moody, or that they're just going to snap on you and embarrass you, and you just don't sound very good. You don't look very good. You're just going to put your foot in your mouth, even if you get it right. But then on the other hand, when you're a person that says, look, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid at all of having a disagreement or you misunderstanding me. I'm just passionate about making sure that we get on the same page about something that's really important to me because that will create a win-win scenario for both of us. That's a different kind of energy, different kind of vibe, different kind of confidence. Applying that to this current conversation, I think there are some people that are truly passionate about taking messages of success and making sure those messages land effectively on people that are disadvantaged and facing all sorts of difficulties. I freaking love that. I do that. I feel like we've had plenty of conversations about how we can do that more effectively, right? Like, hey, here's a kid who doesn't have money to get started. I wanna help this guy out. What can we do to help this guy get started? That's a great conversation to have. But what we're talking about, I think, is there are people that are trying to have that conversation. But rather than it being done out of a passion for helping people create opportunities, it's being done out of a fear that if, if I allow myself to grow or be successful without doing that in an overt and obvious way, people are going to misunderstand me as being something, someone who is not loving, someone who is not compassionate, or someone who's just like rich and greedy without consideration of other people. And when you do anything out of fear, I think you're just a lot less effective than when you do things out of love. And I think we see a lot of that happening right now in a lot of these discussions. And we have to be very careful to not assume that just because we're having a conversation about the person that is disadvantaged, that that we're not assuming that we're having that conversation in the right way. There is a wrong way to have that conversation. There is a patronizing way to have that conversation, an insulting way to have that conversation, a self-deprecating way to have that conversation, a guilt-ridden way to have that conversation. And I feel like all of
0: those are bad. And, and a lot of that is happening right now. Yeah, it's funny. It's almost like um, you know, ideas or advice are immediately put on trial. And They're put on trial for, they must be, they're accused of not applying universally to every human being. And they must prove themselves able to apply universally to every human being, which is like the dumbest criteria, right? No piece of advice, no idea possibly can. But that's, there's almost this lens, like before I promote something or retweet something or accept something or implement it in my life, I need to put it on trial and ask, does this apply with equal effect to every human being on the planet universally. If not, I must discard this, right? And which is a great recipe to never consume any new ideas or advice or uh, practices at all, because it's just not possible. And I think recognizing and becoming comfortable with the fact that something that's for everyone is for no one, right? Like if you think of a product, now of course there are, there are very broad abstract concepts, you know, love, or, uh, you know, dignity, liberty in a cosmological sense apply yeah. to all human beings, all living things, right? But in the world, anything you're going to do, offer for exchange, whether it's ideas, products, services, those are not for everyone. If you try to make it for everyone, you'll make it for no one. And that's, that can be a really like, there's like an epidemic of niceness, um, which I think kind of started with maybe like the millennial generation which has a lot of positive things to it, right? A lot of positive things. But it has like a lot of really damaging things because you get caught in this intellectual, you know, knot of like making sure what you do is applicable to every person because you don't want to leave anyone out. And that's a recipe for disaster. You can't win. Right. And so in business, I've, I've had this and I've had conversations with, you know, respected colleagues and things and they're not, they're not doing this out of any malintent or anything, but like, this worry or concern or fans or followers of companies like Praxis or crash that are like, you know, but what about this audience? Um, You know, can you, can you do something specific for them? I remember with Praxis, sometimes we'd have people that would say, Hey, this is a really cool program. You know, um, do you have anything for um, wounded veterans Or um, people who are uh, blind and, you know, are there startup opportunities for them or people with autism? And I would always say, look, if what we currently do works for that person, they should do it, right? There are some opportunities that I'm sure a blind person or a wounded veteran or someone with autism or all kinds of people could do, but- Our program is not designed specifically for them. That's not the audience that I know. I don't know their specific needs. It's designed for a person that meets these criteria. If you or your son or your friend meets those criteria, great. Whether or not they're blind or or a veteran or any other thing. But I can't tell you the answer is yes, I'm going to change my product to make sure it can include you. Because I'm not going to be able to succeed if I do that for every potential audience that comes. Hey, I'm a 70-year-old grandmother that's looking to start a sewing class. Can Praxis help me? And you have to be willing to say, no, I don't think it can. You know, maybe, I'm. I'm you know, I usually try to be really kind about it because I get excited about helping everybody, right? That's my, I love to help people achieve their dreams. I'll say, well, that's amazing. Good for you. Here's some things that maybe you can go check out. I don't think Praxis is going to help you. And being comfortable with that is really important. And, and you know, I've, I've found it just to bring it home like a little small joke, even in little minor ways. So we've, you and I have done these Bitcoin conversations with, with uh, Steve Patterson, Derek yeah. and Gil. and we started posting them on the Streamanity platform where you can charge for videos. And uh, I saw somebody tweeted like, oh, I saw this video on Streamanity, but then I saw I had to pay like a dollar for it. Like why in the world, would it, what, who would pay a dollar for this? What a joke, right? And it's easy to immediately feel flush with panic. Oh my gosh, this person, I've offended them. I'm being rude. I'm excluding people, blah, blah, blah. And right, the reason we do these videos is not like a normal, like a business or anything. It's just for fun. But I, I have learned to just embrace like who I'm not for and so I, just, so I just responded, oh, sorry, I meant to send you a link that was $100 just as a joke. Now I know who this guy was. So yeah, yeah. And, and the, the point being to just embrace, yes, you're right. This isn't for everyone. That's perfectly okay. I'm not trying to make it for everyone. And like the minute you do that, all the tension resolves. But the minute you try to say, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, let me send you a dollar or maybe I can lower my price. That is a never ending losing arm it's like a one downsmanship right like a losing a reverse arms race like a disarmament race how can i remove any possible anything that i've done that could maybe cause anyone any friction in any way you'll never lose the mob will always be after you because there'll always be another thing to undo or to do differently or to apologize for and you'll be you'll be run by the whims of some you know so just that getting comfortable with Who's not your audience? And I'll just end this very, very long thought with this. I recently was looking at growth marketers and talking with different contractors and I found this um, you know, this website. And I usually don't like working with marketing agencies at all. Uh, okay. I'd rather work with an individual. And this website, somebody sent it to me and I'm like, oh God, it looks like another agency. He's like, well, they hook you up with contractors, blah, blah. I'm like, I'll check it out. I go to the website, uh, right side up marketing. And the first thing they say is, if you're looking for a great marketing agency, you've come to the wrong place. And I was like, yes, they're telling me who this isn't for. It's not for people who want a marketing agency, right? And like, I love that. We've tried to embrace that with Crash. Our, web, our homepage is burn your resume. If you're looking for a way to find a better, people will say, hey, well, how can I make a resume on Crash? Can I upload a resume? No, you can't. We think resumes suck. If you love your resume, go somewhere else. That's totally okay. But that's who we're not for. And there's something very empowering about getting comfortable with that. Okay, that was a whole lot of stuff, but I'll just let you riff.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there to unpack, a lot of really good stuff. So first, I wanna, I wanna go back to one statement you said about products and services. You said, uh, if it's for everyone, then it's for no one. I wanna make a similar statement about personal growth. And I wanna say, if something is just for you, then it's also for other people, right? So one of the things that we get that we downplay a lot about personal growth is that personal growth is actually very social. I remember I wrote this post on Facebook, maybe like the last election. And I I, I made some, some point about how people are afraid to be preachy about everything, right? Like it's considered rude in our society to make comments about other people's diets. Like if you, if you have a friend that's eating McDonald's every day and you say something about it, it's kind of like, whoa, man, keep your religion to yourself. Kind <laughs> <of> thing, <right? laughs> or, you know, if you have a friend that never goes to the gym and stuff like that, it's like, don't preach. But then when it comes to the election.
0: Or like, what if you have a friend that just buys way too many books and he's addicted to it and you want to say something? <laughs> can I? Can you say something in that circumstance? He don't say anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that stuff is rude, you know? But it's like, when it comes to voting, right? We We, we throw the gloves off and it's like, you got to do it, you got to do it. And we say, you're a bad person if you don't and stuff like that. And so I made a comment on it. And someone replied and says, yeah, but TK, here's the thing you're missing. Voting is social. When you vote or not vote, that affects other people besides yourself. Being healthy, that only affects you. <laughs> and um, and I laughed about that. I said, you couldn't be more wrong, my friend. You couldn't be more wrong about the nature of your mental and physical health, right? But, but or, or the
0: mathematical was- probability that your vote will affect <laughs> anyone else on the planet. Right, right. and And... I I think we we
1: often overlook that one of the best ways to be generous and charitable and helpful towards other people is to focus on our own health, our own well-being, and to, to make ourselves better. If you genuinely believe that you have a responsibility to society, then I can't think of any responsibility that is higher than becoming the best possible version of yourself, because you not only give other people an inspiring example... Of, of what is possible, but you also put yourself in a position where you have time, energy, resources, and insights that you can be able to offer to people to help lift them up. I, I was just watching um, Scotty Pippen do a tour of his dream home. Not, not his dream home, his home. It was like some dream home channel. And Scottie Pippen was doing a tour of his home. And he talked about how his boys, um, they want to be basketball players like him. And so he invested in building out a gym in his home because his sons always want to stay up till two in the morning playing basketball. And he was like, I thought it would be a good investment. And I stepped back for a second and I looked at you know this trend that we have of all these like second generation NBA players. We didn't see this when we were growing up, but like Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, like these guys, their sons have a legit shot at going to the NBA because their fathers were successful and they were able to provide their children with resources, connections that helped them be successful, it's not gonna be that extreme for the majority of us. It's not gonna be that extreme, but at a much lower level, we can all be that for other people. Every level of success you hit in life, every advantage that you actually, um, that you opportunize, it, it can be something that benefits others. And so I think if you, instead of feeling guilty about your advantages, I think thinking about it in terms of the whole biblical idea that to whom much is given, much is required. All right, you got an advantage, like don't let yourself off the hook by feeling guilty about it. Don't let yourself off the hook by saying, you know what, I'm not gonna read these books because there are people out there that can't afford to have them. Like, no, like actually, if you really feel bad about those people, every single time you feel like making a soft choice, you need to think about the ability that you have to go read those books and bust your butt doing that for the people that you care about, right? Or go give the books that you have to them. But like, we all have advantages that other people don't have. And to me, the morally superior position is not to hide those advantages or feel guilty about them, but to use those advantages to create value for other people, including the very people that you love. And I think that's something that gets overlooked about personal growth. Um,
0: they make the most of every advantage. You know, when your kid has a lemonade stand, you don't tell them to stop being so cute because people are only going to buy it because they're a cute little kid. You know, you're like, no, lean into that stuff. You're not going to be able to get money just for being cute forever. <laughs> like, take advantage. Yeah. It's a- so so th- there's a second thing I
1: want to touch on here too. I've been writing about and consuming motivation type material, personal development material for a long time. And there is a pretty persistent stereotype that I don't know if we'll ever defeat. And that is when you talk about the possibilities of life, people's instinctive reaction to you will be to assume that this stems from some sort of naive, uninformed view of reality. Like the only reason that you're so positive and optimistic is because you're just not really informed about all the things in the world that you can get mad about. And so something that I learned very early on is that if you want people to take motivational messages very seriously, you can't lead by talking about the possibilities of life. You've got to lead by talking about all the crappy stuff. You've got to make a case for just how much life sucks because people won't take you seriously unless they get a sense from you that you actually know that life sucks and you have experienced that in some concrete ways. Then they say, okay, I'm ready to listen to you. So there's something analogous to that when it comes to talking about, you know, helping others, you know, level up in their lives. Many people kind of assume that that if you're saying some positive message, it's because you come from a place of privilege, you've kind of had it easy, And you're assuming that these poor kids you're talking to that they're gonna have it as easy as you we saw this happen in an article we discussed a few years ago when steph uh, steph curry there was some high school teacher that was like i don't want steph curry to come talk to the kids at my school because the kids at my school they don't have a dad that grew up in the nba the kids at my school didn't grow up in a nuclear family they didn't grow up in the suburbs so i don't want them talking at my school and and it can be very easy to suppose that if someone has a message of empowerment that they're speaking that message with a naive assumption that says, hey, it's gonna be just as easy for you as it was for me. I mean, why isn't everybody rich? Why aren't, why don't these poor kids just go get a job? Why don't these poor kids, you know, who come from single family homes, why don't they just go start businesses? I'm so confused. And I think people genuinely see you that way if you talk about messages of empowerment. And so Rather than running from that possible criticism, rather than apologizing for your success, I think the right way to attack it is to say, hey, look, every single success story I give you, every single practical insight on how to make your life better that I give you is going to have a legitimate objection that you can make. And there's gonna be an aspect of your life that's so freaking unique that you're gonna have to figure that out. And I can work with you and try to give you some insights on how to do it but there's no way I can give you the Tyler Perry story or the Michael Jordan story. And then you just apply it to your life and it works out for you because you've got something that they didn't have. That's going to make it extra difficult for you. But the goal isn't to be like them or to have it easy like them. The goal is to figure out how we can make your life the best that it can possibly be for you. And unless you explicitly state that nowadays, a lot of people will just assume that you're one of those people that's like, why isn't everybody
0: just rich? It's so easy, you know? So I love your, um, your post or article that you, you mentioned about you know, um, how people will kind of tell you, hey man, don't be so preachy when you, you know, offer advice or tell somebody to watch their diet, but then they'll, they'll preach at you about voting. And that, that somebody's response was, well, one you know, affects the whole community and the other one, you know, it's social, they were referring to voting. Uh, and the other one's just for you. I wanna, I wanna go a little deeper into the, the idea that improving yourself uh, is just for you, and your rebuttal that no, that's actually for the world, and certainly far more than voting. Um, think about all the ways in which improving yourself is for the world. So we'll just you know, start by saying, like, I genuinely believe the most effective way to help other people succeed is to succeed yourself, period. Like you want to do the most for the world, be as successful as you can be on your terms, by your definition of success. Um, But it's in so many ways. It's not just like, well, you get rich monetarily and then you have money and then you can donate to causes. Like, okay, well, that's one potential way that may help the world, may hurt the world too. Charities are often really, really crappy, Um, but that's a potential. Or you may, uh, you know, start a business and your products improve people's lives and you employ people and their lives are improved. Okay. That's also a way that's also true, but it goes so much further than that. Like the reverberations of a person living their best life or even just improving their life by a few percentage points, being slightly more alive. The reverberations are tremendous. I mean, I think we underestimate the extent to which, we impact the world in unseen and unspoken ways, right? Like my kids, for example, they watch me, not necessarily consciously, intentfully, far more than they listen to me. And so my my kids, when they see me improving myself, they are learning so much more that benefits them than anything I could say, any way in which I could say that we ought to help people we ought to recycle. We ought to help the poor or tell them these messages of what society ought to do and what's right or wrong. Those may have some impact, but what I do with my own life, the way I manage it, if I'm improving myself, that sinks in, that has a massive effect. So when, you, when your friend stops eating the fast food and starts going to the gym, he's probably going to live longer. So he'll be there for his friends and family longer and have a longer time to impact the world. He's gonna be happier and feel better and be able to have more quality interactions with people, which have a tremendous effect on people's lives. Uh, He's going to be setting an example that people notice. And I'll tell you, I've I've always been amazed by, especially since starting Praxis, where sort of my life became more visible and public than ever before, because I'm on social media all the time, I'm talking about it, I'm talking about my company, blah, blah, blah. The number of people that have emailed or messaged or spoken to me and told me that what I'm doing improved their life and they never became a Praxis customer and didn't know anyone personally who did. But just seeing me start a company and do something, watching someone succeed at something Mm. was an inspiration. And a bit of a, hey, I can do that too. I remember when I first moved away from a hometown I grew up in and I talked about moving away from hometown. I had a lot of people say like, you kind of helped me see that that was possible for me. Now, I'm not saying this to toot my own horn. Like I haven't lived some amazing life that's inspired millions of people or anything, but those small ways. And I've seen the same thing with other people. Like when I saw you start daily blogging every day, just because you wanted this creative challenge, I was, I noticed you improving your speed of thought, your creativity, your articulation of ideas, like a new something opened up in your life, a whole new facet. And then when you suggested I should do it, I would not have done it based on just advice, but I had seen that your example. And so your self-improvement improves the world around you in these powerful ways that I think we don't always see or appreciate. I mean, that's the whole point of the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, right? Like you've impacted people in more ways than you know. Um, And so I think it's like so important. Don't, you know, if you're somebody that's really compassionate and you care a lot about other people and you're worried about, you know, high achievement, hustle porn, self-improvement world of go, go, go. I don't want to, I want to help everybody else. Don't underestimate the most powerful thing you can do. For one, it's completely in your control and it won't make you grumpy like trying to get involved in social causes. Well, but when you wake up in the morning, you say, is there something I can do to make myself even 0.1%, 0.01% better today than I, you know, at the end of the day, than I am when I started. That is going to reverberate through the universe in very real ways to help everybody else's life as well. And like, like if you, if you feel like you have a duty to your fellow man, that duty starts with being the best version of yourself that you can be. And I know that sounds cheesy, but I think that's really important to overcome and not have that guilt about, you know, oh, I gotta be doing things for other people. That's great, but the best thing you can do is be the best version of you. As a parent, you feel that a lot, right? When I haven't slept well, when I haven't dealt with my stress about work, when I'm not, I'm gonna snap at my kids more, I'm gonna be a worse dad, right? When I'm on my game, like I'm way better for them in, in, in both obvious and in not so obvious ways. So um, that's, that's one thing that I've, I've often responded with people who are like, man, I love, you know, when you're doing it crash or whatever, like I wish you could help people who don't speak English or who don't have access to the internet or whatever. And I'm like, I do too, but I can't directly through my company. But if the company succeeds and we're helping more and more people discover and do what makes them come alive, more and more people who are more alive and have more of what they're trying to go after in life, that's going to reverberate and it's going to help those other people tremendously. And I get to like feel that excitement because if I can help this one wedge of the pie, it's going to help the entire pie grow across the board. So anyway. Yeah. I love that, man. To help others that. succeed.
1: I remember, you know, I grew up in a Christian home with all these... <laughs> I wish I remember the name of the name of this book, but you know, my parents had so many books on their bookshelf. I remember reading one one time and it was a story in there about uh, the devil was going out of business. And so he had a garage sale and he had all of his weapons like jealousy, envy, you know, lust, all of them. And there were price tags on everything and everything was pretty like moderately priced, but there was this one weapon that was in like this case and it was highly secured. And the guy that was visiting saw that it was secured and it was really high priced. And he says, what's that one over there? And the devil says, oh, that's my most effective weapon of all. He says, that's guilt. He goes, you know, I can get most people with lust, with addiction, with jealousy and all these other things, he says, but whenever I'm going up against a really hard case, he says, my one go-to weapon is guilt. Because if you can make people feel guilty about who they are and who they're born to become, there's nothing that you can't stop them from doing. And if I were the devil, and I wanted to try to render humanity irrelevant, strip them of their power, there will be two things I would do. I would, one, make people feel guilty about challenging themselves to be better. And I would make people feel guilty about challenging other people to be better. Because there is no greater recipe for destroying a society if if we have to tiptoe around the process of pushing each other to be our best selves. And it is a very dangerous thing. I don't think it's just like a, oh, here are a couple of guys that are irritated with something or have a pet peeve. No, I actually think it's a very dangerous thing for us to be in a place where we lack a vocabulary for how to push each other to get better. And that's not a contradiction to self-love and self-respect, because if you truly love and respect yourself, you're going to be committed to your own personal evolution. You're going to be very honest with yourself about all the things that you need to learn and all the areas where you need to grow and level up. And I think I, I want to address something that I think makes a lot of people feel guilty about challenging themselves and challenging others. Because yeah, I set I them think free, I have, TK set them free. I think I have a good
0: sense of what people are
1: afraid of looking like or sounding like. And me? if your ideas you're, you're
0: worried, they'll, they'll sound like me.
1: <laughs> it's like a total jerk. <laughs> but no, seriously, man, like one of the things I find in, in my years of coaching people is that if you're trying to help somebody develop a quality, your greatest enemy is some stereotype they have in their mind mm. of who they would have to become in order to embody that. So one quick example before I get to the success thing, let's take empathy for instance. Nine times out of 10, if you talk to people about the value of empathy as a tool for conflict resolution, just the value of listening to another person and be like, I understand, I get it. I I, I can see why you're upset. That makes a lot of sense. The value that most people who are afraid of being empathetic are afraid because they feel like it means, oh, I'm gonna have to be that pushover guy that I have in my head. I'm gonna have to pretend to feel the emotions that I don't actually feel. We all have an image of somebody like that in our minds. right? I'm gonna have to be that spineless person that I despise. And you've got to help people deal with that. You've got to say, look, let's, let's deal with that image in your head of who you think you've got to become. And once we deal with that, let's give you a real desirable image of what it means to be an empathetic person. So I want to do that for this whole thing of challenging ourselves and challenging each other. We've all heard, whether it's in the movies or it's in real life, some person who says something like, you know, maybe they meet a black kid from the hood that ain't got no money. And I'll say, well, look, Tyler Perry's rich. You can be rich kid, <laughs> right? Like, well, look at Jay-Z, like he's really rich. You can be rich. And so, and so we have this idea of like, and, and the response to that is, okay, come on now. Everybody can't be Tyler Perry. Everybody's not gonna be Jay-Z. You know, um, only one in, you know, like a million people actually make it out of the hood to have that much money, okay? So let's not make that the goal of inspiration. And I, and I think there's something right about that, that concern and that intuition. And so what a lot of people have in their heads is they have in their heads this idea that the goal of challenging one another, the goal of inspiring ourselves is everybody becoming equal in terms of the outcomes they, they create. All the kids who grew up poor, they can easily be like Steph Curry and LeBron James. You know, all, all the kids who drop out of high school, they're going to be just like Mark Zuckerberg. And it's like, no, 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 let's get that out of your head. Because that's not the goal. The whole point of being inspired by other people's success is not so that you can achieve the same outcomes they achieve, but so that you can use some of the things, because only some will apply, some of the things from their life that worked for them to make your life a little bit better. Because a little bit better is a whole lot better than where you are right now for the rest of your life. So if you hear some CEO that says, I read a book a week, the response to that isn't, well, it must be easy to read a book a week when you got a million dollars and a whole bunch of time to sit around. Like, no, 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 no. I can be real about my life. I don't have that kind of time to be doing that, but all right, what I can take from his life is I can read more. Maybe I can do a book a month. Maybe I can do a page a day, right? Or the, the, the tweet that you talked about at the beginning taking a thousand dollars in a year, the response to that isn't, hey man, that's easy to say when you can come up with a thousand dollars. Hey, you know what? How can I make this work for me and my folks over here? Let's make it hundred dollars because the principles of risk taking and investing are the same at a hundred as it is a thousand. So let's do it for a hundred dollars. We don't have that. No problem, guys. Let's do it at the $10 level. And how about we all figure out a way for the first three months to make $10, Let's come together and let's think about some ways that we can go make $10, because we're gonna learn even more now. And then we're gonna use the $10 to invest it in things along those lines. And so we have to help people understand that the goal of inspiration is to interpolate. The goal of inspiration isn't to imitate. It isn't for me to become Tiger Woods, to become Michael Jordan, or all of these other people. It's for me to find one or two things that work for them, figure out a way to customize it to my life, and then I can be a little bit better because that's the only way that improvement happens in the first place. We model other people's success.
0: Man. I love it. I think you resolved the issue once and for all for us. <laughs> it has been, it has been settled. It is so declared. Um, hey, I appreciate it. Uh, taking, taking a, this was like a spur of the moment we were chatting and I was like, man, we got to jump on a little podcast and talk about this. Cause we don't have a regular scheduled podcast anymore, but this has been kind of fun over the last, I don't know how many months, just randomly when a topic comes up. So um, you have any, any final thoughts you want to throw out there? Challenges? I was hoping you were going to be a little meaner to people be like, Hey, why is everybody so afraid of success? But you were all like reasonable and kind and gave useful advice. So, so I'll
1: try, I'll try to be mean with this, with this company. Oh, good. Yeah. I'll try to be mean. If you are someone out there who claims to care about those who have difficult lives, please don't let yourself off the hook by merely shooting down success advice that doesn't apply to the people that you claim to care about. If you really care about them, then show the people you claim to care about how to make success advice work for them at the level that it can actually work. Additionally, Don't let yourself off the hook by assuming that you are realizing your own potential simply by making a case for how hard it is for other people to realize theirs. Other people's disadvantages are not an excuse for you ignoring your advantages. The morally responsible thing to do about your advantages is to use them as a way to make yourself someone that is more capable of solving problems and creating value for the world. So don't get caught up in cheap virtue signaling, where you say, yeah, I hear you, Mr. Business Owner. I I hear you wealthy person over there, but that doesn't apply to people over here. What are you doing to actually help it apply or or to help people figure out how to apply it for themselves? And not only that, what are you doing with the resources that you have? Because if it applies to you, if it applies to you, then you know what you got to do. And don't use somebody else's hardships to let you off the hook when it comes to, to your responsibilities. That, that would be my, my final thing.
0: I love it, man. Who's, uh, who's going to win the NBA championship this year, the bubble championship?
1: I'm hoping the Miami Heat do it, man.
0: I thought you were still going to say the Toronto Raptors. And <laughs> even though they've been eliminated, you would have some theory about you, you've never ceased believing in the Raptors.
1: So 2021, um, I think DeMar DeRozan might be a free agent. I have to <laughs> look it up. But if we can get DeMar DeRozan back.
0: It'll be like Steve Jobs returning to Apple triumphantly. All right, man. I'm pulling for the heat, too. That would be fun. Hey, man. Talk to you later, TK. Good to see you, brother.